You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. So today we are starting a new series on the attributes of God called Discovering God. And what I want to do is I want to simply hold God up to our gaze. That's my goal for our time over the next several weeks. I want to hold God up to our gaze. I want to behold God together. Now, an attribute, as it says on the screen, an attribute of God is any term that adequately completes the sentence, God is. So if you're wondering, as we go through the series, what is an attribute of God? It's anything that can adequately complete the sentence, God is. Now, there are many words that complete that sentence because as you get to know God, you realize that God is not one-dimensional. You might have realized that as you've been following God or been reading the Bible, that God is not a one-dimensional character. He's actually a complex character where there are seemingly contradictory attributes that come together in God. We will talk this week that God is love. Next week, we'll talk about how God is jealous. We'll talk about the wrath of God. You're like, okay, does God suspend attributes to fulfill other ones? Is God mad at me but loves me and he has to suspend his love for me to get mad at me? Or is God at the same time loving and just and holy and wrath and good and merciful? How does he carry all of these attributes together? That's what we're going to be talking about. God is not a one-dimensional character. So for the next several weeks, we'll be talking about these characteristics of God, his nature, what he's like and who he is. And I hope that we get to know God more. We get to experience God. And this series will lead us into another series in October called Following God. We'll be looking at the Ten Commandments. And I've been wanting to go through the Ten Commandments with this church for a very long time. So we'll talk about who God is, this, this series here, what he's like, called Discovering God, and then what is it like to follow this God? And then that will take us through the rest of the year. So I'm really excited for the rest of our year together on Sunday mornings and afternoons and evenings. (laughs) Today, uh, I want to start our Discovering God series with the attribute, probably the most popular attribute of God, God is love. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4. I will start at verse 8, or uh, yeah, verse 8. First John, um, it's not the John in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's at the end. It's right by Revelation. So find Revelation and go left, and you will find it. It's a tiny book. If you have a small Bible, you'll easily miss it. But if you have a phone and you're doing it, you're cheating, and you can easily find it. Um, but, but we'll start in verse 8, nevertheless. Verse 8, I'll read through verse 21. Let's just uh, soak this in. Let's take this in. This is such such a beautiful passage. John writing, who is actually known as the apostle of love. There is a church tradition that when John couldn't walk anymore, which I'm like probably two weeks away from that, um, they would pick him up and like lay him on the ground and he would just go, children, love one another. And they pick him up and take him away again. That's so funny. Um, So, the apostle of love, and he writes this. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son in, uh, to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he has first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has uh, seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's our text that we'll be launching from today in our, in our discussion on God is love. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this church and and I thank you for their eagerness to, to learn about you. I pray for those who are here and don't know you, God, who are, are here maybe curious even about who God is. I pray that we would know together, whether we believe in you or not, that an unknown God can either be trusted or served or worshiped. God, if we're truly to profit from this series, you have to bless us, God. You have to show us yourself. You have to apply these truths to our conscience and to our heart so that our lives would be transformed. And so I ask God that you would anoint me as a teacher today speaking about this very broad and deep topic of love that I still don't, I can't comprehend. I don't think anyone can. I pray that you would show us your love, God. That as your word says, that you would pour the love of the Father abroad in our hearts. I pray that even if someone doesn't remember a single word that I said today, they would sense your love, your true abiding love that was displayed for us in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So how do you, how do you feel when someone loves you? How do you feel when someone says that they love you? I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. Maybe it's someone, a romantic partner, if you're married in here, the first time your spouse said that they loved you, or when someone says that they love you. I remember the first time Ashley told me that she loved me, my wife. It was awkward, <laughs> completely awkward. It was when Ash and I first started talking, and we were awkward when we saw each other. We'd be like, hey, hey, all right, all right, and then that was it. But we get on the phone. This is back when people used phones to talk to other humans. 
that the, the phone actually like plugged, had these cords that plugged into the wall. And so we'd get on the phone and we would talk late into the night most nights and we would talk about anything and everything, getting to know one another. And then one night it happened. I forget what we were talking about, but it got really, really quiet and then she stuttered my name and I knew I was in trouble. She's like, D Dave? I'm like, yeah. And then it was quiet. And then on the phone she goes, uh, I, I think I love you. And then dead silence. And then I remembered, oh, this is where I say something back. Like, <laughs> like I have to respond. And so I, I said, um, uh, you know, you're cool. And I, I like you a lot, too. Um, complete fail. I mean, it was horrible. And she's like, it got silent again. Completely awkward. I didn't know. I didn't know really how to experience that. I don't know. I didn't know that. What does love even feel like? And she loved me, and that made me feel really good. But was I supposed to say it back just because she said it to me? I love to recreate this awkward moment when I do my first premarital counseling appointments with couples. I look at them and I ask them. And now some of you guys already know this because I've said this before, so you guys are ready for it. But if you're not ready for it, it's really fun. I say. Of all the people that you've met in life, why do you, are you choosing this other person to marry? Why them? And there's normally this very awkward silence because it catches them off guard. And then when someone does speak up, what comes next is a beautiful list of why they love the other person. Like all their characteristics, an, an amazing list of qualities, physical things, their eyes, their smile, their smell, like all these things, their hair, the way that they talk, their the personality traits, their character comes out, how they respond to conflict, how they, how they do all these things. They just start what they find adorable, even their little weird quirky things, how they find them adorable. See, whenever we hear that we are loved, when someone says, I love you, they are in part saying that they find something in you that is lovable. When someone says, I love you, what they're saying is there's something in you that is lovable. No one looks into another's eyes and says, you are the most homely creature I've ever met. Your bad breath can stop a herd of rampaging elephants. Your knees remind me of a crippled camel. You have the personality of Genghis Khan. You don't have any sense of humor. You're miserable, self-righteous, narcissistic, hateful, and I love you. <laughs> no one says that. I got that actually from a book that I completely laughed out loud because it's so true I, um, by D.A. Carson. No one says that. Whenever we hear I love you, whether we believe it or not, the other person is saying, I find things in you that are lovable. Now, when we hear this phrase, for God so loved the world. And when we hear, Jesus loves me, this I know. Or when we hear, God is love. There is a part of us that hears God declaring the lovableness of us. The lovableness of the world. God loves you and there's something in us that goes, I can see that. God so loved the world, there must be something in me that he loves. Actually, the love of God is the most popular thing about God these days. It's the one thing about God that everybody agrees with. If there's one thing that our world thinks it knows about God, it's that God is loving, that God 
is love. No one will really argue with that. If I walked around the streets of the city and I talked to somebody, anybody, and asked them to describe in one word who God is, his nature, his character, what he's all about, the overwhelming answer would be love. God is love. This is the answer I get when I begin to talk to people about God. They believe the church is intolerant. You might believe that. The church is intolerant. Christians are hypocrites, but God is a God of love. God can be defined by love. Now, this has not always been the case with God. In human history, many people have thought of gods as capricious, mean-spirited, or even malicious at times. That's why you would have to appease the gods. God as a loving God, though always true of God, the true God, did not receive much attention until recently. Today, people find it easy to believe that God is love. It's not a bad attribute to be known for, actually. 1 John 4, as we read, makes it very clear. God is love. So most people today would not be wrong in saying that God is love. If you went around going, let me define God for you, God is love. But here's where we get in trouble with this phrase, with this truth that God is love. What if we took it a step further and I asked you, what is love? How would you define love? If God is love, then what is it saying about God? And what is it saying about love? What I want to do is I want to look at this attribute of God under these three headings this morning. God's love misunderstood, God's love expressed, and God's love experienced. First, God's love misunderstood. What makes this attribute of God, God is love, so difficult to understand. I think the first problem that we have with this, when I say God is love and why you misunderstand it, why I misunderstand it at times, is because of our definition of love. Most of us have a definition of love that is non-judgmental, affirming, and very sentimental. We believe that love does not judge. We believe that love is non-judgmental. Love does not condemn anyone. It lets everyone do whatever they want to do. This is what love means. If you love me, you won't judge me. If you truly loved me, you would let me do what I want, and you wouldn't judge my decisions. You wouldn't judge the things I like. You wouldn't judge the things I hate. You would not judge me. And what we do is we take this, and we place this on God. God is a non-judgmental God. We can even quote a verse that says, Jesus says, judge not, lest ye be judged. And people can say that. Well, Jesus even said, judge not, lest ye be judged. Jesus is not a judging God. See, love does not judge. Now stop and think about this for just a second. Use your mind for a second. Do you think that Jesus, who died on the cross, who came to bring peace between God and man, came and is abolishing all morality and leaving everything up to the individual? Do you think that's why Jesus came? I want to abolish all morality and leave everything up to what you want to do and affirm everything that you affirm. Was that what Jesus was doing? If you think that, then you have not even began to really understand who Jesus is. Jesus began his ministry by saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, it means you have to turn from something. We think that love is non-judgmental, and this is why we get in trouble with this understanding, God is love, well, God doesn't judge me. Another misunderstanding is love affirms anything that a person being loved really wants. We believe, we think that love is affirming. 
Love affirms anything that the person being loved really wants. We think, I love it so much, and God is love, so God must love it too. We can't wrap our minds around the fact that God doesn't love what we love. If I love this so much, why don't you love it with me? We can't understand that. It's everywhere. It's, it's kind of pervasive in our culture. It's played out in movies and music and plays. It, if you love me, you would let me do this. That's the mantra of our culture. If you truly love me, you would accept this. Whatever this is, whatever decision this is, and we believe that love is affirming. So God is affirming. God affirms anything, anything I want to do. This is why we have a, a problem with the definition of God as love. The other thing is love is sentimental. This is what we believe. Love makes the person being loved feel so good, and that's the sole purpose of love. And we take all of these things, these cultural understandings of love, and we place them on God. I want you to think about that for a second. When, you, when I say God is love, what do you think? A lot of us think, well, I, I know what love is. I think I understand it. I'm going to place all these things about love on God now. And the result is that the love of God in our culture has been purged of any, the, anything the culture finds uncomfortable. We purge God of that. I, I, I actually went through this series um, in one, I did the whole series in one like two-hour thing with the arts community uh, this summer. And when we talked about God is love, everyone was like, yes, preach that. Then we got to God is wrath, and they're like, that doesn't even compute. We have a, a very difficult time grasping God is wrath. Why is God angry? We believe that God affirms us. God doesn't judge us. God is there to make us feel good. C.S. Lewis called this God is grandpa. In his book, The Problem of Pain, he writes this. What would really satisfy us would be a God who said of anything we happen to like doing, what does it matter so long as you are contented? We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. A senile benevolence, I love that, a senile benevolence who liked to see young people just enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. That's how God closes every day. A good time was had by all. And everyone said, amen. <laughs> I should very much like to live in a universe which was governed on such lines. But since it is abundantly clear that I do not live in this universe... And since I have reason to believe, nevertheless, that God is love, I conclude that my conception of love needs correction. So one of the obvious reasons God is love is so misunderstood is because we misunderstand what love means. We tend to want to define what love is. John picks up on this thought in 1 John 4.10. We just read it. John says this, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. We want to define what love is. We, how, how do you know you love? I love God. I, the way I love God is probably the way he loves me. We want to define what love is. The way I love this, the way I love that. That's what God, no, it's way beyond that. The definition of love is not the way you love, but the way that God loves you. And this is love, not the way that we define love. Not that we love God, not the way that you define love, but the way that God defines love. 
the way that he has loved us. What John is saying is that we tend to want to define what love is. But John is like, no, that's not even love. The way you love isn't love. Love is how God has loved you. So definition is what makes God's love so misunderstood. But not only that, why this is so hard to grasp, another reason why this is so hard to understand is because we can't comprehend the incomprehensible. Look at this quote from A.W. Tozer. I love this quote. No one can conceive what God is except God because God is inconceivable. Even if anyone could conceive it, it couldn't be expressed because God is ineffable. And if it could be expressed, it couldn't be understood because God is incomprehensible. Like, I get it. We'll say it. Oh, I don't know. It's awesome. I don't get it. Like, I normally love studying a text. I love when we go through different books. I love when we got th- went through Genesis, when we went through Mark, when we were going through Colossians. It's so fun for me. And the reason why it's so fun is because I begin to understand what the text means. I can't tell you how much fun I was having in Genesis. I'm like, I'm understanding the book of Genesis for like maybe the first time ever. And I've studied it my whole life. I am getting it. And I, was love, I loved teaching it. It was so fun. Same thing with Mark. But this series is driving me mad because I, I don't get it. The more I get it, the more I don't get it. I'm like, I'm sitting there going, God, just show me your love. And then I'll get it for like a second. I'm like, oh, I get it. I go to write down, I'm like, wait, what do I get? <laughs> I don't know. It just, it comes in waves. Have you ever experienced the love of God? Like just at, at church maybe or at home or something happens. I remember I, I was going through this really difficult time in my life and I had this one worship album that I listen to it now and it's like a horrific album. But then, <laughs> oh my gosh, I would like lose myself in my car and like close my eyes and go through intersections like this. <laughs> it was like, I'm t- I was like testing God. I'm like, God, I won't die. I'm worshiping, you know. Like I would just go through, and it was insane. And I would, I would sense like at that moment God's love, but ha- have me explain it. And I would be like, ah. It's, it's unexplainable, the love of God. That's why this series is so hard. I want to tell you, this is how God loves, and, and, and it's just like, this is why God's love is so misunderstood. Some of us that are very calculated, very studious, want to calculate, okay, give me five things that God's love is, and then I'm going to go through all five. And that's important. Some of us that are more emotional, it's like, just let's get to the worship part. I'll know God's love as that song is being played. And they're both true. But that does not mean that God's love hasn't been shown to us. Second point, God's love expressed. How does God express or demonstrate or show his love toward us? Let me get back to this idea that we are loved because we are lovable. If we don't deal with this, I don't think we'll grasp the love of God. Does God love us because we're lovable? Let's deal with that. Does God love us because we're lovable? When I went to my, walked into my first small group Bible study, it was a mixture of super creepy and really awesome. There was food, more food than I've ever seen on the table. Super awesome. But then people got in a circle and they started talking about their life. It was super creepy. 
Have we gone in the circle? I'm like, okay, so let's talk about our life. And that was the weirdest thing. I, I mean, I didn't grow up in church, so I had no, if you've ever been to one of our small group Bible studies, and you were like in a, a circle with everyone else, and they're going around the circle, you're probably going, this is weird. No one does this. And so I was sitting there going around the circle, and the question was, when did you give, when did you start following Jesus? And I, um, it came to me and I was like, I, I don't really know Jesus on that level yet. Haven't gone there, brother, so maybe next person. And um, what I didn't know that I was like an evangelist dream at that point. The pastor said, okay, well, wait. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? I did not know this. But this was like the silver bullet for all pastors and evangelists, right? If you died tonight, heaven or hell? And I'm like, oh, okay, let me see. Heaven. <laughs> and they were like, and he, he said, why heaven? I'm like, come on. Because um, I have great friends, have great parents. They love me. I love them. I'm likable. I haven't murdered anyone. I mean, I, I thought through this consciously. I, I try hard in school. I mean, come on. Heaven would not be complete without me. <laughs> I, I seriously thought that. But you know what I was saying, right? I was saying I deserve it. I've earned it. See, when it comes to the love of God, this is how a lot of people view it. I've earned the love of God. I deserve the love of God. It's like when we receive or collect a paycheck after a work week. When your boss gives you a paycheck after you work, you don't grab it and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe you've done this. Thank you. You don't know what I could, I don't, I don't, I don't even, I'm so overwhelmed right now. Like, thank you. Like, you don't do that. When someone gives you a paycheck after you work, you're like, oh, thanks. I earned this. Like, I work for you. I earn, this is how we think of God's love. God loves you, and you're like, yeah, I mean, I kind of earn it. Like, I do a lot of stuff for God. He should love me. Like, I try really hard. I go to church at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I deserve the love of God. I've raised good kids. I have, I've had good grades throughout college, university, some of you guys are holding on to your purity. I haven't had sex with anyone. And everyone else that I know is just like, the way they live, I don't live that way. I deserve the love of God. This is not why God loves you. Because you've earned it. And this might not be why and this also might be why when you hear God loves you, you wonder why the wonder of that does not fill your heart. When I say God loves you, and that doesn't fill your heart. John 3.16, you might have not ever heard of this verse, but it's in the Bible. Um, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world now, when we read that verse, we think, well, there is something that God loves in the world. There's something that he loves. Um, D.A. Carson commentates, uh, commentates on this. 
passage, and he says this. The word world in John's gospel is, a, is this human-centered, created order that God has made and that has rebelled against him in hatefulness and idolatry, resulting in broken relationships, infidelity, and wickedness. For God so loved the world. He says the essence of the word world is not its bigness, but its badness. It's not that God so loved the world it's big, but God so loved the world it's bad. It's like God so loved the world, the wicked, rebellious world that he gave his one and only son. This is why John says again in 1 John 4, the context of God's love. We read this a second ago, 1 John 4.10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know what the word propitiation means? The removal of wrath and anger. God so loved the world that he sent his son to remove his anger and his wrath against your sin. For God to be angry is not out of character for him. I want you to understand that. For God to be angry is but an expression of his nature as a loving God in relation to particular circumstances. The God who loves us as creatures hates when we rebel as sinners because he cannot tolerate us in that condition. Like Elie Wiesel said, the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Do not think that the opposite of love is hate, and if God hates you, then he doesn't love you. No, no, that's not. The opposite of love is indifference. If God didn't care about you, then you'd have a problem. He hates our sin because he loves us. And I know that's a paradox, but it's true. As Gerald Bray wrote in his systematic book called God is Love, he said, if God did not care one way or the other, he might easily be indifferent to us and either do nothing or destroy us without giving the matter a second thought. However, it's God's love that has led him to redeem us. But he has done so because that same love has led him to hate what we become as rebellious sinners. In God, the two apparent opposites are reconciled into one. See, when God looks at the world, he says, morally speaking, you are people of crippled knees. You are people of moral bad breath. You are the people of the rampaging Genghis Khan personality. You are hateful and spiteful and murderous. And you know what? I love you anyway. Not because you are so lovable, but because I'm that kind of God. I am love. And this is why we marvel at God's love. This is why it sweeps us up. We don't deserve God's love, but he loves us, and he's displayed his love toward us. How has he displayed his love toward us? By sending his son while we were still sinners. Jesus shows us the love of God. He is the love of God made manifest. This is seen in his ministry, and Jesus' ministry of kindness, his power, his justice, his compassion. Have you ever seen uh, The Passion of the Christ, that, that movie? I'm sure many of you have. If you haven't, make a point to watch it sometime between now and Easter. Though it's pretty graphic, and though the love of God is put on display through the whole movie, the most compassionate part of that whole movie that caused me to weep at the very beginning was at the at the the start of the movie when Jesus heals the 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 servant 
of the high priest's ear. Jesus is being arrested. We know what's going to happen next, crucifixion. People get crazy. Peter tries to defend Jesus and lops off a guy's ear. I mean, like, way to go, Peter. It's like of all the things you can go for, you go for his ear. Like, really? But Jesus picks up his ear and he puts it back on and he heals him. That display of compassion in the midst of being betrayed and led to his own crucifixion overwhelmed me. This is the compassion. We are shown the love of God in Jesus, his ministry, his compassion, his justice, his forgiveness, and ultimately his death. Do you want to start tripping out on God's love? Ask yourself this question. How much does God love his son? Ask yourself that question. If you don't really, if you can't grasp the love of God, just ask yourself this question. How much does God love his son? His one and only son. You would go, it's immeasurable. God loves his son so much. And you would be right. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his only son. He loved you so much that he gave up the thing he loves since eternity, forever. I know we can't grasp that. A relationship that's always been together. Do you want to know how much God loves you? Think about how much God loves his son, and he was willing to give that for you. John actually gets overwhelmed with this thought in his, in his book, in his letter in First John. And he, and he just bursts out in worship in chapter 3. He's writing about God's love, and he says this in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, he's like, oh, you got to just look at this. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. That, I mean, that doesn't really have anything to do with what he's talking about. He's writing, 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 and he just goes, ah, but look, look, oh my gosh, look at this. And he starts flipping out. Have you ever been around someone who just gets that? You're like, stop. God loves us. We're like, yeah, we know. No, he really loves us. Have you ever been overwhelmed by that? And all you can say that, and everyone around you is like, yeah, I know. I've read the Bible too. I'm like, no, you don't get it. He loves us. That's what John's doing. He just breaks out in worship. Behold, the love of God, the manner, the way he loves us. He, he's bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. We don't deserve it. We deserve hell. We deserve God to be broken from us in fellowship forever. But God has shown his love through Jesus. Lastly, his love experienced. What God is can never quite be grasped by the mind. It can only be revealed by the Holy Spirit and then experienced. There's a, a moment in, in time where, maybe even the sermon, where you've got to let your mind go for a second. You just experience the love of God. God is a person. Not to simply know, but to behold, to know, to experience. A friend of mine this week, knowing I was going to preach on this, said this to me. He said, I'm not sure how you're planning on closing each week when explaining the different attributes of God, but I wonder if it should be a response of accepting rather than understanding. I think there's something really powerful when people make the switch from trying to understand God to accepting God. So how do you accept this? First, let go of fear. Let go of fear. If you know God loves you, you're not afraid of him. 
You're not afraid of where he might take you, where he might send you, what he brings into your life for your blessing or for your discipline because God is love, perfect love. And that's why John says, perfect love casts out all fear. I heard someone say recently who walked away from following God because she decided that God didn't have her best interests in mind. Nothing could be further from the truth. How do we know that God has our best interest in mind? He did not even spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. God's love was expressed in Jesus and his experience in receiving his love. Experience the love of God. Trust in it and let it shape you and let it change you. Do not fear. But also, experience the measurement of God's love towards you. You might be the one who doesn't feel lovable when you hear that God loves you. Some of us go, God loves me because I'm lovable. Some of you in here, I, I know that you're out there. You're, you're, you're thinking, well, I, I don't really think I uh, am lovable. When you say God loves me, I don't, I don't really, it's really hard for me to believe. You need to accept it. Even if you don't feel lovable, even if you realize you don't deserve the love of God, it's hard for you to accept it. You need to accept it. God loves us without limit. There is a depth to God's love which no one can fathom. There is a height which no one can scale. There is a link to it and a breadth to it which defies measurement. It's unknowable, and the irony is we can know it by experiencing Jesus. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that goes beyond knowledge? You experience it. You might not ever be able to explain it fully, but you experience it, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Some of us just need to experience his love, cast out, let that love cast out all fear. Let us be completely embraced by it in Jesus Christ. We're afraid to let God love us. We're afraid to fully experience God's love because we think we might do something crazy. We think that God would call us somewhere or call us to do something, call us to give something up. But know that God loves you. And when he does do those things, it's for your good. When he's angry towards your sin, it's because it's killing you, destroying you. When he loves you into a new area of life, when he loves you into a different direction, because you are, he's the shepherd and you and I are the sheep of his pasture. And he cares for us. A.W. Tozer writes, from God's other known attributes, we may learn much about his love. We'll talk about this for the rest of our time in the attributes of God. We can know, for instance, that because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning. Because he's eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity 
because he is immense. His love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea before which we kneel in joyful silence and from which the loftiest eloquence retreats, confused and abashed. God's love. Because of all the other attributes of God, God's love is true because God is true. God's love is light because God is light. God's love is just because God is just. God's love is holy because God is holy. All the characteristics of God hang in suspension at the same time. One does not stop. His love does not stop to bring you discipline. His love does not stop to bring justice in your life. His love does not stop to bring holiness in your life. His love keeps going. The love that God has towards you, if you were to define it in human terms, this is the terms that the Bible uses. God loves, God's love towards you is like a love, the love of an artist for his work. The love of an owner for his dog. Don't laugh at that either. If you own dogs, you know. Or pets, or baby lambs, or whatever you, whatever you keep around your house. God loves you like the love of a father towards a, towards a child, towards his child. God loves you like the love of a husband toward his wife. If you are any of those, you get a little glimpse of what God's love is like towards you. And you can't get it because something good in you, but you can't lose it because of some failure in you either. God's love is infinite. It's everlasting. And it's experienced by embracing Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your love. And I just pray right now as we move into a time of worship that we would experience your love. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the first time, God. But if it's for the hundredth time, maybe our hearts feel a little calloused. Maybe our hearts feel a little wayward. Maybe we need the love of God. Maybe we've been trying to do it in our own strength. and We just need the love of God pray, God, that you would pour the love of the Father abroad in our hearts. And by faith, we'd experience it, we'd know it, we accept it, and we surrender to it, God. In Jesus' name, amen.